Hi, everyone. Welcome to MGAC Inner Voices, a podcast digging into issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. As always, I want to preface this podcast by letting you know that we're not experts in all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. We want to share our stories and discuss how together we can create a better outcome for all of us in the AEC industry and beyond. As you all may know, I'm Brian Gamas, your host, uh, an assistant project manager at MGAC, working and living in Los Angeles. And today we have the special privilege of talking to a fellow LA office member, Jason. What's up, Jason? How are you? Hey, Brian. I'm doing great. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jason Lachnamusni. Uh, I'm a cost consultant in the LA office. Uh, I've actually been with the firm for about almost five years in June. So it's funny because this is actually my first job right out of college. So in terms of professional experience, this is pretty much I've been from the very get-go at MGAC. Wow, you're a veteran of the LA office. It's so interesting to our listeners. Jason and I met just about two months before the pandemic and we left the office and we haven't seen each other mm-hmm. since then. So I would like you to tell you know our audience more about your identity. Okay, yeah. So I would say that, you know, just looking at me, I, I, I would look Asian, but I am Filipino. Uh, my parents were actually both born in the Philippines. I'm the first generation, you know, the first to come over here for my family. I'm also first generation as well. So I can uh, relate to uh, yourself and, and where you're at. I've also been in the industry for about almost six years now. I'm interested to know more about how your identity has really affected you in the professional space. And also, if you've ever really faced any challenges in your career because of your identity. Being an Asian or Filipino in the the construction industry um, is quite interesting in a sense, because, you know, I would say for the most part, the construction industry is, you know, white dominated. And being an Asian coming into this industry is little, you know, eye changing or, you know, I don't really have any family members or any like friends to say that I could relate to that actually work in this industry. So for me to be coming into this, is kind of like, you know, it's being blind. I'm the first one to experience all these interactions with, you know, other professionals. So I'd say for the most part, like I've had a great experience, you know, meeting a lot of these professionals. It's, I haven't had any really big issues. I, if anything, it's a little bit more of about little small mannerisms that I've noticed that are, are different from, you know, my upbringing or where I came from. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, or elaborate what you mean by mannerisms? So I, I let's see, I guess some mannerisms that I, I've grown up, you know, like taking from my family is like a lot of it's, you know, like very strong eye contact, you know, like strong and firm handshake. So this is something I've noticed, like, you know, as a kid, I have noticed, like, I shouldn't be having these, like, strong gazing, you know, eye contact with my, my parents. Because in a sense, I would think just from my personal experience, it kind of feels like a disrespect to, like, you know, stare them straight into the eyes. And then we didn't really, you know, give, like, handshakes. You know, when we greeted one another, it's more of like a kiss on the cheek and stuff like that. So it's kind of different. Like, you know, especially being a professional, it's like, you know, it's more it's like a handshake. I didn't really handshake, you know, my relatives or, like, friends or anything like that. You know, it's a little bit different from a professional standpoint, but I guess like, you know, the mannerisms is like, it's, it's very subtle, if anything. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. Cause you know, like we, we, when I try to think about these small mannerisms that like are different from, you know, how I grew up to say like, you know, the construction industry or my professional uh, career, it's, 
you know, for me, it's normal. Like I've grown up doing the same thing over and over. Like, you know, when we greet, you know, my friends in like high school, it's like, you know, we, we say like, what's up, you know, all this stuff, you know, you know, you start getting into, you know, the professional industry, it's kind of like you're taught like, okay, you need to be professional. This is how they speak. This is how we should speak. You know, when you introduce yourself, you're like, oh, hi, I'm Jason, you know, eye contact from handshake, everything like that. But, you know, it's kind of like a term because I never saw my family do that. Whenever, you know, my family would tell me to, or for example, like, you know, my, my parents, you know, are from the Philippines and they kind of have, you know, hard time speaking English, especially my dad. And so a lot of times, you know, when he asked me to say, for example, like, you know, call something for the bills or something like that, you know, it's like, he's telling me to call them. And then, you know, the, the interaction is very interesting because I have to pretend I'm him. And then, you know, I'm just like this 12 year old talking on the phone. It's like, oh yeah, what's your social security? Or are you Mr. You know, I have to talk as my dad. I'm like, yeah, my social is this. I'm like a little kid. And like, he gets mad at me because I'm not asking the right questions. And then I have to like kind of translate it back and forth. And it's like, it's interesting because like, I'm just thinking like, you know, like you this know. is a normal for everyone, but like, as for like immigrants, I would say this is like, you know, an everyday thing that happens all the time. You're bringing up my childhood too, because my mom speaks English, but she has a strong, heavy accent. So she would do the same thing to me. She'd be like, we're going to talk to the bill people. But I noticed they treated me a lot differently than they would have treated my mom because of the accent. And that to me was just, baffling and, and I'm assuming your parents weren't in like a professional white collar white workforce right my mom was in as well so it's interesting that you say we entered the workforce we're learning to be professional in an industry that is dominated by white men and when you're entering that workforce you're picking up their mannerisms you're picking up and you're learning and like how you're saying it was a learning curve for you and it's it's been a learning curve for me and now that we're we're, you know, here five years and six years into our careers. It's just interesting to look back and think, wow, you, you're really, you assimilated into this professional setting, but you still look back and think to your roots. This is very interesting because I'm thinking about like, you know, my upbringing, I was born off in, in San Diego. I moved to Carson like when I was about two years old. And then I, you know, I come to realize the reason why my parents moved to these cities is because it's a big Asian or more specifically Filipino dominated city. I'm looking at a census right now. I just like Googled Carson real quick. Uh, in 2010, you know, 25% of it was Asian, but out of that 25%, you know, 20% or plus is Filipino, which is, you know, it's a, it's an interesting fact because, you know, my parents, especially for them to come as immigrants, you know, they want to be somewhere where they're comfortable and, you know, being somewhere comfortable is seeing people that look like you. Like, I mean, I can understand now looking back at it, it's like why they moved to these cities. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's scary, you know, moving to a new country, everything is different, all the mannerisms. And so, and the thing is, especially since they were adults coming into it, it, it's harder for them to pick up these mannerisms and adjust to it as, you know, for us when we're, you know, like we're, if we're born here, you know, like we start to pick it up in grade school right away. So it's like, okay, we, we learn that this is, you know, the way how people talk to you, each other and whatnot. What you're saying resonates completely with me. Um, so I want to know, have you ever faced you know, discrimination in the workplace or like have there ever been instances where you have felt people in positions of power within the organization have like discriminated against you? Have you seen discrimination um, to uh, people who identify similar to you? 
So for the most part, I think I, I'm lucky that, you know, we're in the LA office and our office is very diverse. It's very, very mixed for the most part, and especially our office, I feel like completely comfortable. But there has been some times where I noticed that going into meetings, it's predominantly white men, you know, and it's like, it's a different atmosphere. You know, as soon as you walk in, you get this like little hesitation of, you know, like I, I don't look like them. I have to interact in a certain way to, you know, get, get my point across. I, I felt that you're adapting to a persona where you, you hope that they recognize you, that they see you and that they're listening to you. Uh, because when you are a minority, you always have in the back of your head that my opinion may not matter as much as these folks. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's unfair to us. It's unfair to you. I mean, this is one of the things I love about this podcast is exploring these themes of communication, uh, nonverbal communication, really, because you, you're talking about how you're entering a room and all of a sudden you think, wow, these people... We're, we're so affected by how people see or view us because of how we identify through these minority groups. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's to a point where it have, it's like, how do we, you know, assert ourselves and our opinions and make ourselves known that we are here uh, to, you know, be just as successful as they are. Yeah. It's exactly what I was trying to get at. You know, it's, it, it's, interesting because in your head like you know i know what i'm doing i know what i'm going to say but right. when you see a majority of the room doesn't really look like you and does it talk like you specifically you start to get the sense like you know i'm the minority most of them are probably correct they're a lot older yeah. so if you see the majority of the room look like that you start to feel like i don't know if i want to speak up and talk about what i believe is right especially in a job setting yeah that's absolutely true i think i i've definitely had the same thought if we have greater diversity at the very top at the C-suite level, we know that our goals are achievable, right? We want to be, I, I know that I at least want to be a great leader. And I also want other people to know, be like other generations that follow. I have a little sister and she's, uh, she's going to college. So it's interesting. I want in 10 years time, it's like, what will our society look like in the professional workplace? And I hope that in 10 years time that this is not a conversation that, you know, makes people uncomfortable. So I see right now we're, we are, we're striving to make this a more equitable space for all. You know, that brings us to our own diversity. So why do you think diversity, equity, inclusion is important in the workplace? I think it's very important because it educates you on people's, you know, their backgrounds, it educates you on their, you know, religion. And so, you know, it, it teaches people respect for people's beliefs, which is huge. I agree. And I think our, our country right now is in such an interesting state. Turning on the news, going onto Twitter and seeing these viral videos of how minorities are are treated recently with the the attack on elderly Asians and across the country because of COVID. Obviously, the Black Lives Matter movement and how this happens not just outside, it, but it also happens in the workplace professionally. And it's better to have these conversations now and create the dialogue and understand that, hey, we are here to create mutual respect with each other, learn from each other, 
And I think that's what you're bringing to the table here today, yeah. Jason. I hope I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. Uh, so how does your unique identity make you a strong asset to the team? And how has it informed you professionally? Okay, I, I would say, okay, a unique identity. I think the first thing you would you think it's, you know, visually. So for me, obviously, it's my long hair. I think which is interesting because I started growing out my hair in college, you know, like the typical college phase and people end up cutting it after. And I ended up keeping it because I just started to realize like for my identity, I, I like the long hair because, you know, it's somewhat associates with taking days, you know, one step at a time, relax, don't stress out too much. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring this, you know, I guess, personality of mine of being, you know, very nice, carefree, but obviously, you know, be on top of your work. It's just like, I want the, the workplace to be more enjoyable. If, if I'm going to spend, you know, the rest of my life, per se, not to make it sound bad like that, to be working, I want to make sure it's enjoyable. I want people around me to be happy, you know, so I try to bring that positivity into our office just to make sure everyone feels good especially if any new hires for example i want to make sure they're feeling welcomed they just joined and pandemic hit you know and like they didn't even get to meet anyone so it's a little scary for people you know to just join an office you know we want to like one another especially when you're working that's true and i think i mean jason you and you and gary gary's our other co-worker and you guys made me feel really welcome <laughs> but it's funny though because actually gary was my college classmate that's true so for for those yeah for those that are listening like gary is another um cost consultant as well but we were classmates in college i mean we got along so well and i'm glad that he actually got the job as well yeah he's he's really cool and i honestly i think when i entered the office i just thought wow this this la office is actually really diverse and that tells me that there's so many different backgrounds here that i'm going to be able to learn a lot from other people here and for me, it was, you know, being welcoming, being, being chill and not, and it's it just having a laugh, you know, it was really cool. So anyways, I really, I digress. So what advice would you give young people pursuing AAC careers who could be worried about facing discrimination or feeling like they're not adequate or have like the same thought that, you know, I don't really see anyone that looks like me. What would you say to them? I would say just to follow your passion. Um, you know, I, I myself didn't have anyone to base my career on. You know, I, I didn't look to my like my family or my or my friends. I didn't know anyone that was really following the path of the AEC industry. And so, I thought thought to myself, you know, you have to be that you know brave representative for those falling behind you. So, for example, in my high school, I could only remember I think one time there was an outreach. An engineer came by, and so I was very fascinated because you know I was very into the math STEM field, but I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my career, and no one really told me what to do. And so, after seeing this outreach of people that started to look like me that are joining this industry, it made me start to broaden my my path or you know field vision of you know maybe I can do this. And so, at the same time, you you want to make sure that. You know, the industry doesn't look like mm-hmm. you, but mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't join mm-hmm. it. And so by you joining it, you're, you're, you're setting an example for those behind you. Like, okay, the people look like me. And so you feel more comfortable. Like it, it takes a lot of bravery to, to join these industries. 
But at the same time, you know, change won't just happen, you know, overnight. So you have to be the change you see. Yeah. And if they join MJAC, they'll see us. <laughs> yeah, make sure to know that, you know, I'm the one that brought wow. you here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so I kind of touched upon this earlier. In 10 years time, what do you think that our industry will look like? I mean, in 10 years time, I would like to see it be more diverse. But, you know, a lot of times it's... It's a slow change. If anything, I would like you know, people in the industry to understand that you don't have to look a certain way, act or dress a certain way to, to get the, your point across. You want, mm-hmm. As long as you're professional, as long as you get your work done, that's pretty much all that matters. It shouldn't be based on your appearance. Yeah, because that's a, that's a very superficial thing for someone to even get hung up on. Yeah, exactly. There's more to us than just this skin color or what we look like. Exactly, exactly. I hope that in 10 years' time, we are appreciated for what we're bringing to the table and that diversity becomes a normalized aspect in all companies. And I know a lot of companies are trying to do that now with like advertising and marketing, but... In, in reality, I'm not sure if minorities are creating those marketing campaigns, but I, I hope that they are. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that. So speaking about our company, how would you bake DEI into MJAC's DNA? I would say for the most part, the company as a whole, I think is doing a wonderful job at that. We have, I would say, one of the most diverse companies I've seen in terms of the construction industry. And so that's a big start. And also, you know, our company is doing a lot of these uh, DEI podcasts and like, you know, we have calendars, reminders talking about all these different ethnicities. And so I think for it to be baked into our DNA, it will take time. Obviously, talking to one another about it is is the biggest thing. So I think that the path that we're going on right now with MJC is, is great, you know, and I, I hope to see in 10 years time, you know, becomes even more diverse. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... It also has to do with their intention for hiring more diverse, unique people, which I believe that they are doing. And if you were establishing a company from the ground up, what would you do to ensure that DEI was central to the company's values? So for me, I would say, okay, if I were to establish a company from the ground up, I would think from the get-go, you know, I would treat everyone equally, especially equal pay, I would think is a big thing because there's a big gender pay gap, you know, and especially in the male-dominated construction industry. For me, if I were to, you know, start my company from the ground up, I'd make sure that you know, everyone is you know, paid the same, especially you know, if they have the same education qualifications. I think that's all that really matters. Yeah. Like I'm just basing this back, you know, looking to my parents. My mom, is, she has a master's. My dad is, is not educated, but he has a job that actually pays a lot more than my mom and she has her master's. I mean, it could be an industry thing, but I would want to make sure that everyone gets paid equally for you know the time of work and uh, effort that they put. I I agree with you. I mean, it's going to take years for that divide to get closed up, but uh, that's that would be an essential item for me. I just want equity to be at the forefront of any company. If I ever created one, if you ever created one for our generation, I want equity to be a foundational value. I agree. I'd, uh, if you were to start a company, I want to be the one that's actually at the forefront of that. You know, as an employee, if you know that your employer treats you well and takes care of you, that's how you retain your employees. You know, that if they know that they're being taken care of or know that like, okay, oh, we'll keep lowballing their pay until they actually you know, ask for it. For the most part, it's like when you respect your employees and you're paying them well, they won't want to leave. For example, like Costco, right? Like they're probably the top paid, you know, 
job for for people that's like right in this high school. You know, you're just coming into the industry and they pay really, really well. You treat your employees well and they'll take care of the company. The employees will start talking about like, I love this job. They, they treat me so well. And, you know, it shows a, a positive impact onto the company. I guess talking back to MGAC, they've treated me so well just coming straight out of college. And so I'm just happy to be, you know, a part of this company. Can you speak to increasing diversity and representation while avoiding tokenization? Um, I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, tricky question because obviously the first couple, you know, people are like, I'd say like if you're to hire a couple people, right. And like, you know, you want to increase your diversity. They are obviously going to be seen as the, you know, the token XYZ, right. To avoid tokenization, it's not just about employing, and XYZ, it's more of the intention of the employer. You know, they want to make sure that they are seen and heard as an actual human being, not just like, okay, we have a number to pump our diversity up. I think it all comes from top down, I guess. As long as the boss is saying we value them as an employee, they're a great asset to our company, I think that is fine. It's a slow process to bring more representation into the company. You know, it's small baby steps to get there. So I just think as long as the intent from the top down is to you know, show that we, they are valued and they're cared for, then I think that is, that's all that matters. For some of our coworkers who may have never experienced, you know, discrimination, this could be, you know, our GCs or people we work with on a day-to-day basis. What advice would you give them to be an ally? Uh, my advice would just be to be respectful for our coworkers because it's hard enough for them to be joining an industry that doesn't represent them. And just to know that, they are valued as an employee and that as long as they're doing their work and that's all that matters. I would just think that people see something that's wrong or was that's not really okay. You bring it up, you encourage a dialogue between others, encourage them to see that other person's point of view, to understand that some things bring pain to others. It brings back memories. And, and if someone is suffering and is going through these emotions, that's not a good place to be in a professional workplace. You know, there are a lot of our coworkers who have never faced discrimination. There are a lot of white men who have had such a privilege in their life. You know, what's interesting is that my boyfriend, he's white and he really tries to understand where I'm coming from as a Latino who's gay. And he, I mean, he's obviously gay, but so there's just discrimination that he's never faced before. When we have our conversations, he does his best to understand, you know, I actually have been very, very privileged and I'm going to do my best to ensure that I'm not saying things that are going to make people uncomfortable. And if you do see something and it's wrong, you speak up and you let them know, hey, you cannot say stuff like that. Um, I know that older generations may say phrases here and there, but... It's important to communicate to others that in order to be an ally, you need to understand where that person who is a minority, where they're coming from, what their background is, and then be cognizant of the fact that your words matter. Communication matters between people. So I would say that if you want to be an ally, you have to extend your hand to the other person and really try to have that communication and common ground with them. I totally agree. (laughs) You know, Jason, it's been really great speaking with you. I hope that people, when they're listening to this, they understand that, you know, you and I come from diverse background. We come from melting pot cities and it's helped us in our perspectives, in our careers. And I hope that 
you know, moving forward that we normalize diversity and equity and inclusion in, in, in the workplace. So, I mean, I appreciate you coming on and speaking your, your thoughts and letting our listeners know more about yourself. Thank you, Brian. It was, it was a pleasure being on this. Thank you for listening to this episode of MGAC Inner Voices. Come back next month and we'll have another episode for you. Thanks, everyone.